0: Welcome to Pod Parks, a podcast for the park minded brought to you by World Urban Parks. In this podcast, we'll embark on a journey through the world of parks, from intimate community parks to sprawling urban national parks and everything in between. Join us as we explore the beauty and diversity of these urban oases. Meet the individuals and organizations working tirelessly to preserve and improve them. Our guide will be Alice Landin, Research Development Advisor for World Urban Parks. So come along as we rediscover the green spaces that make our cities livable.
1: Welcome back to Pod Parks. I am thrilled to have the opportunity to share this space with you yet again. Today we are sharing the mic with Tim Geyer, Deputy Chair of World Urban Parks. Tim has been essential for the promotion of parks and urban spaces around the world, and I was so happy to get a chance to chat with him about how urban spaces and urban biodiversity can boost health and well-being around the world. Here's an interview with Tim.: Welcome to Pod Parks. I am Alice Landon, and we are recording live from the World Urban Parks Conference 2022 in Monterey, Mexico. With me is Tim Geyer, Service Manager of Urban Landscapes at and Palerang Regional Council and Deputy Chair of World Urban Parks from Goulburn, Australia. Tim, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. So Tim, you have a very rich trajectory in the parks and recreation industry. You have dedicated your life to parks and as Louise would call you, you are a parks rock star. So before we begin, I would love to know more about you, about your trajectory. What led you to the field of urban park management? And also what is the most gratifying aspect of your job?
2: Okay, so so I go back about 45 years. So when I first left school, I already had a, a passion for gardening I got from my mother, and uh, and I had an opportunity to study horticulture as a, as an apprentice, and uh, and that's what got me into the parks industry to start with at the age of sixteen years old. So I've worked all of my career in parks, and without started out initially um, as a gardener and developing my skills and growing my passion in that in that area. Um, but as opportunities opened, I did further studies, um, went to university, did my degree, and uh, and eventually came into an opportunity to gain a, a role as a manager, an urban parks manager, um, or parks and recreation as it's often called in Australia. And, and that has just grown. It's just one of those things where I, I get a huge amount of pleasure out of doing something for the community. And quite often it's not us, the practitioners get recognition we see the mayor up there getting recognition and or the politicians getting recognition but to me that's a sign that we've done a really good job um, that the community when you you go there on a week you know on a weekend and the community's out using your park that you've spent so much time building or maintaining that gives you a huge amount of pleasure um, and even just walking around here in the, the city of Monterey I, I look at Seeing the people out in the parks on Sunday was phenomenal. It was just great. And that that's what drives me. That's what keeps me going as an urban parks manager.
1: We love to hear it. And a lot of your work has focused on the relationship exactly between parks and people, between parks and well-being. This has also been seen through your work as a park recreation manager. And you also served as a chair of the Aging, Well-Being and Parks Committee for World Urban Parks Prior to your current role as deputy chair at WHOOP, so why is it so important to research and discuss the connection between parks and health? And what are some of the some of the projects that you have undertaken at
2: WHOOP? Yeah, look, um, we we all turn whether we know it or not, we all turn to the parks for our health and well being. We 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 may say we're going to play sports, we're going to um, just have a picnic in the park, but in reality, that's it is those aspects of life that, that make us happy, that keep us going. Um, if all we did was go to work every day, we would, we would probably have serious mental health <laughs> issues. Um, so the parks are critical, critically important, and with the older adults, or so the Ageing Wellness um, Committee, um, what we were able to do there was find that, as you get older, that, that access to parks becomes even more important um, one of the one of the things we researchers found is that older adults um, tend to be frightened of going to the park. Now, there's a number of reasons for that. It's because a trip fall to an older person could be life changing. Yeah. It's not just about uh, you know you, you you've got a sore hip and you'll get better in a few days. They may not. That may be. They may need to move into care. So so we need to make sure that parks are really accessible. Um, and, and are inviting to all people. So nowadays, even more so, you're seeing in, and particularly in, in developed countries where older adults, grandparents are, are the primary carers of children and need to take them to the playground, but they can't actually get to the playground. The kids can run into the playground, but the grandparents can't. So that to me, found I found that really, I guess, a little bit of self-interest. I'm, I'm in my 60s now and I'm, I'm going to be an older adult. <laughs> I, I, I don't consider myself there yet. But not yet, not yet. Not yet, yet. Uh, but, you know, it, it'll be a time and I still want to be able to go to the parks. Of so course. it's an investment in my future. It's an investment in your future. It's, it's it's about, you know, an investment of time to make sure that we get the parks right in the future. And with the older adults or the the Wellness uh, and uh, Ageing Committee, what what I tried to do was to foster not just a change in design of the park. So I was preaching to the architects and and park practitioners, but also to politicians to change policy, to invest in safe walkways. Um, I can use a really good example of something that happened in the the UK, in in, in Wales. I I had an interview with the Commissioner for Older uh, Adults in Wales, and she found that one of the biggest problems was the, the health system was investing a lot of money in keeping people alive and keeping people well, but the community wasn't investing in the social infrastructure. So older people needed to have a public toilet to go to if they were going to walk a lot, but the cl- toilets were closed because the councils couldn't afford to maintain them. Uh, older adults need park seats with hand rests so they can get up or back rest so they can sit safely, and they weren't being invested and in, they weren't being provided. So one end of government was investing a lot of money in the older adults and the other end of government was letting it down. So we need to make sure there's policy change and encourage people to you know, be more inclusive. And, and that goes right through you know, people with disabilities and it's all about equity and ensuring everyone gets access.
1: Let's keep talking about equity and mm-hmm. access to public parks. So you, through the World Urban Parks and your, um Work as a park manager, have done several projects to research and really delineate the role that parks play for public health, especially in an age of COVID. So, what are some of the projects that you are currently working on, or the World Urban Parks is currently working on?
2: Yeah, well, I'll, I'll come back to the projects at the moment, but the one of the, with the um, equity on the on the question of equity, it is it. it it needs, to, everybody needs access to a park within a reasonable distance. Parks are critical for, you know, they, they, anecdotally they say half an hour spent in a green space is good for our mental health. So get out in the green space every day and, and it helps improve our mental health. And of course walking in the park or running, jogging, cycling is good for our physical health. So equitable access is important that we all have the ability to... You know, it's free that, healthcare that is, that, at the end yeah, of the day, it right? is free healthcare, absolutely. And that's what, with the government, we're to convince them it's not an investment in a park, it's also an investment in their health system because it reduces the need for the health system, saves them money in that one, put it in the other. So it's preventative medicine. But with the, um, the work we've been doing with uh, World Urban Parks, uh, I, I've spent a lot of time uh, fostering a relationship with the World Health Organization. So I'm acting as a bridge between... Uh, the people working for the World Health Organisation and the people working within World Urban Parks. And uh, we've got now a a really good working relationship with uh, the Office of Environment in in Bonn in in Germany and uh, working with them, we're now trialling a a product called Green UR, which is a a software package and it's actually being trialled here in Mexico and I'm, I'm sure you'll get an opportunity to interview David and get a more intimate detail of that. Um, But the work we're doing there is there are many software packages which can go out and um, measure the canopy cover of a a thing. It it gives you data, but it doesn't tell you what to do with the data. Uh, What this product is trying to do, and it's it's purely in trial and it's got a long way to go, is it takes that same mapping of um, tree canopy, green and blue space in a city, connects it with known industrial and urban areas, and then overlays a layer of uh, medical information. What is the mortality rate due to heart disease? What is the mortality rate due to diabetes? And so forth like that. So you put all the known facts into the package, and it comes up with A rate of mortality for that city and then you can play around if you if you adjust the um, green space or if you move the industrial area downwind of the school playground or something like that or vice versa uh, then you can actually reduce the mortality rate by certain uh, certain diseases and that's very powerful stuff it is so it's been a pleasure to work on and and, you know as I said we've got a long way to go uh, but we'll keep going that way um, there's other things we're doing. Working, uh, one of my colleagues in, on the older com- ages committee is interviewing seniors and why do they, what do they get? So it's the idea is it's an intergenerational project where where young people take an older person into the park and ask them questions, and uh, and then collate that data and, and it gives us the information about how why do they enjoy the park why do they what are they looking for in the park or what don't they like and you know little things like antisocial behavior is 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 frightening to an older person to you and i maybe maybe not as that much of a problem um, but we want everyone to be able to access the parks so they're projects we're working on at the moment
1: i think it's so interesting especially the green ur tool that you mentioned because what we have seen from a lot of local authorities is, so we do have a lot of general information and a lot of general studies on the relationships between parks and health and well-being. But when it comes down to an actual city, a lot of the times local governments don't have either the time, the resources, the human capital to to get around to playing with with those policy measures, right? To actually know what it is that they want to do before they actually implement it and this is why we're going I think blind into a lot of urban projects mm. within cities worldwide
2: no you're absolutely right and it's it's often a balance and it's a challenge for city councils and I, and I experience it where I work as well you have a, a strong pressure you, you've got population growth and there's a pressure to build houses provide work and so forth like that and so the focus of councils the government and so forth tends to be on what's critical now yeah. and and it's easy to push aside you know or well later on when they're settled in they'll use the park but if the park's not there they can't use it and uh, and so it really is important for us as practitioners to to get that message across that, that urban planning is really important to get a proper balance Um, And then you always have that difficulty, even when you you could possibly get a really generous developer that wants to provide a a very green suburb for their community because they want a higher house price. They want to sell it for a higher price. But the poor council that inherits that can't afford to maintain it. And uh, I see that uh, there's one suburb in the community where I live, a township called Gugong. The developer has invested $300 million in the urban Um, parkland and at early stages before people move into their house which is very rare in Australia and uh, we as a council need to take that $300,000 into our asset management system and figure out how we're going to pay to maintain it in the future Um, and the developer's long gone by then so it's hard.
1: (laughs) It does sound like a very complex challenge that requires very complex solutions but I'm sure places like this conference can help us see what other places around the world have done to...
2: Absolutely, and and, and that's the the most important thing of of World Urban Park's Congress, is you do bring people from all around the world. And it also gives us an opportunity for those who can travel to go and see firsthand what other people are experiencing around the world. And and I've been very lucky. I've been able to go into um, Africa, into uh, Cape Town and, and see some serious challenges that they have over there with, with townships, where people are coming in from the rural areas, walking off their, their rural properties into the towns, and the towns cannot sustain the massive population growth um, of, You know, I, I can see um, across Australia, across Europe, we're all experiencing the same problems, but just some are experiencing it harder, um, or more so than others. But that's what we're here for. That's what we, we want to share our opportunities, share our experience. Um, one of the things that I experienced over my lifetime in working in parks is we're not, we're not rich. We're, we're, even in even in a developed country, parks don't get a lot of money. So you've got to be very innovative and, and create ways of providing the park for not a lot of money. And uh, community tree planting days are a classic example. In Australia, if you put on a barbecue and tell people to come and plant trees... You'll be inundated with people wanting to help. Um, So, you know, you just got to look at ways you can do things that don't involve money but still achieve the same results.
1: I love that. I love to hear that. So, you, as you mentioned, you're a horticulturist and I have heard that you're a very big tree guy. (laughs) So, let's talk about trees. What is the importance of trees? For parks, but not only for parks and environmental well-being, but also for our physical and our mental health and our community health.
2: Yeah, look, I, I am passionate about trees and, and uh, I don't know where it's come from, but it's been my entire life. I've um, loved planting trees, growing trees. Uh, I actually have a personal arboretum on my... I, I live on a farm and my wow. wife and I have started planting a personal arboretum of trees we've collected. Um, so... It, 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 trees play a really important role in, um, in our uh, environment. So in, a, in an urban environment, um, you know, you've got the, the canopy cover, you know the, the cooling of your city. Uh, it's common now for cities to, to map heat islands and so forth like that. And you can see where the park is and where the tree, street trees are really well established. You've got a much cooler environment. My biggest fear with urban development isn't so much that people don't want to plant trees, is they really don't have anywhere to yeah. plant trees? That's the bit, the big fear I have. The blocks are so small that even street trees aren't have, are able to be planted. Um, but trees play more than just that role of cooling the canopy. There is that uh, thing I mentioned earlier about you know access to green space improving your mental health. If if you are in a green environment, and and the University of Wollongong, the Power Lab have done a lot of work on this, they've indicated that a 30% increase in canopy cover can have a, a positive impact on um, live birth weight of babies for, for pregnant women. Okay, that's now, interesting. Well, it is it is interesting. Now, obviously, there's a lot more science to be investigated yeah. in the background. That's one of the things, but the evidence has indicated that that's true. Now, it could, there could be other factors played in because if you're living in a very green, leafy suburb with a big tree canopy, the cost of the land may be more expensive, therefore you may be a bit more affluent and have a better diet. And there's maybe other factors involved. But there is definite proof, and the World Health Organization researched 11,000 papers and proved that green space has a positive impact on our, on our mental and physical health. So if you, have a, if you are physically and mentally healthy, then you're going to you know, have a healthier baby tree cover also decreases your susceptibility to um, diabetes type 1 diabetes and uh, heart disease and again it's because you're living a less stressful life and that's what it comes down to so so trees provide that critically important health benefit to us not to mention obviously they filter the air there's a lot of work again being done by the world health organization where certain trees will will take air pollutants from the atmosphere and they're doing more work now as to which trees are the best. Um, but there's definite evidence that trees capture uh, pollutants. Um, it may have a negative impact on the on the tree. That's that's one <laughs> thing. Um, but uh, when you go with say deciduous trees, for example, then the leaf drop, then you can collect all that uh, leaf litter and take it away and compost it, and you remove that particles from the atmosphere and removed it from the environment and put it into compost and, and recycled. it. There's also of course we, we want to bring nature into our urban environments. Um, I mean it was David Attenborough said that without biodiversity we are lost yeah. um, as, a, as, a, as a people, as a species and, um, and that's so true and we, uh, we need to bring nature. We're obviously growing in our cities, we, we can't stop the population growth so we need to try to bring the nature and co-live with the nature in the cities, and uh, and use the trees and the, and the canopy cover to you know increase the bird life and the um, upper, you know, upper animal you know, butterflies, insects a lot, the whole biodiversity of the city.
1: Now you you mentioned something that's very important that, uh, as you say, we live in a current landscape where many cities have completely eaten up their public spaces. Any Inch and plot of land has already been mm. occupied by either a street or a building or etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So, how can we create more urban biodiversity and create policies that embrace wildlife instead of alienating cities from their natural environment, from their natural world?
2: Yeah, look, I think it's going to take well, not in all cities, it won't take a mindset change, but certainly in, in where Australia. I come from, in Australia, <laughs> we have we have a sprawling city. We love our big block of land.
1: Oh, uh, we do uh, as well.
2: And and so a good example occurred during the pandemic in the, in in Melbourne, which is for many years was the most one of the most livable cities in the world. They the government passed a the rule. There was a lockdown, but you were allowed to go out for an hour a day and exercise within five kilometres of your house. And what they found was there were 400,000 residents in Melbourne that didn't have a park within five kilometres of their their house. Um, And so there was that inequity. There were those richer suburbs that were using the parks. People were even using the cemeteries. Cemeteries even make a a good green space uh, for recreation. But there were these communities of uh, houses that did not have that available to them. And so what um, what the City of Melbourne and, and surrounding uh, councils are now doing is they're buying up some of the older, poorer neighbourhoods that were going to be developed by, by um, developers, and instead of putting high-rise buildings on them, they're turning them into parks. So you, ca- you can actually, if you've got the courage to buy the land and take the houses away and put the park back, um, you will you will be able to replace it. But that does mean that the people are living in high-rise or or high-density housing. Um, Now, a good example where that actually really does work, and and they've got the policy so well, is in Singapore. If you go to Singapore, they have a policy of, uh, well, it started out as a a garden city and then it went to a, a city in the garden, and I'm told now it's a city in nature. What they allowed the developers to do was you could If you had to take out a bit of green space, then you had to put back twice as much green space. So that meant it was on the roof, it was up the walls, it was wherever. Um, But they would also allow you to put on a couple of additional floors above the high-rise limit if you then gave a greater footprint of parkland around your establishment. And so, so now you'll see high rise buildings popping out of the out of the green and you can walk in Singapore anywhere and not leave the green belt it is amazing
1: I love to hear that and it's such a different policy measure from what we're used to which is you know you get 10 percent of green area Mm -hmm. 15 percent of of green space for every sky rise you build so I think it's it is as you say a, a mindset of change and of embracing the green instead of Kind of leaving it as an afterthought, right?
2: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: Okay, so before we wrap up, I would love to know, from your personal and professional experience, what would you say is the biggest benefit a park can provide the people and the planet?
2: Wow. Yes, yeah, it is. It's, that's a complex question it because is. there's so many ways you could go. Uh, look, from the work I've done, I would say the greatest benefit. Would be the, the community health and well-being. Uh, I, I've seen that in, in so many areas where I've been, and I've I've seen the opposite where there is no parks. Um, so, from where I've been working from, I see that now. Yes, I could I could say that biodiversity is critically important, and nature in the in the city is important. But yeah, i, I my personal and professional view, it's community health and well-being.
1: Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much, Tim. Before we end our podcast, where can people find more of more of you, more of the work you do, more of the work of your organization? Where can people get in touch?
2: Yeah, look, you can get in touch direct through World Urban parks. Um, you can you can find me on on the website there, um, but also through LinkedIn. but uh, by all means, just look me up as tim guyer and and uh, follow me there.
1: Perfect. Well, again, thank you so much, Tim. It has been an honor to, to converse with you. Thank you for joining us. This has been Pod Parks, and we hope to see you again soon.
2: Thank you very much.
1: This is the end of today's episode. Next week, we're going to give you a taste of the knowledge sharing that goes on at an annual World Urban Parks Congress. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you never, never, never miss an episode. And please leave us a review to help us reach a lot more park enthusiasts like yourself. Remember that you can find Tim Geyer and other park professionals from around the world by becoming a member at worldurbanparks.org. You can connect with other park professionals, discover the latest park news and research, learn from fellow parkies, among many other things so do not hesitate to become a member today before i let you go i would love to hear about your favorite tree mine is an evergreen oak that sits in a park in front of my parents house i used to go there as a kid to just think and get away what about yours and how does it make you feel
0: Thank you for listening to Pod Parks by World Urban Parks. Pod Parks is written and hosted by Alice Landin, produced by Vitoria Martin and Luis Roman, sound engineering by Vladimir Yanez. Don't forget to visit worldurbanparks.org and explore the resources our online community has for you. Get out, explore, connect.